Welcome back, everyone, to Bounce Off, the world's number one slam ball centric podcast. I am Sam Roberts. You can find me on social media, whether that be Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at Quantum Roberts, Q U A N T U M Roberts, where we're talking all things slam ball, which is obviously what we're doing today as well, and the day after every single night of slam ball action. The headlines for today's very exciting show Ty McGee makes history for the wrath. The Ozone and Wrath is the biggest rivalry in slam ball. The Rumble have made adjustments. The Lava can't get over the hump. And injuries are growing. That is everything we're going to be addressing in the show today. But we are going to do it in order in which matches took place. Because that just makes the most sense. I was trying to think of ways that we could do it differently. To address different bits and pieces at different times. But first off, Ty McGee's history-making scoreline comes in the first game. And second of all, the way that the league is structured... The fact that game one happens, game two happens, and then game three is the winner, winners of those two games taking each other on, it just makes more sense that that's how we review this stuff. So we start with game one, which again, if you're someone who has not watched the games yet, this is going to be very, you know, I guess spoiler heavy, but it's live sports. You shouldn't really be able to spoil that. Game one, Wrath beat the Rumble 65-55. The first thing I want to note is that the Wrath have been forced to take a player from the Taxi Squad. If you don't know what the Taxi Squad is, there are a set of four players who are not listed to any slam ball team. When players on slam ball teams get injured, they are replaced or can be replaced with a member of the Taxi Squad. If a member of the Taxi Squad is brought onto a team, they stay there until the other player gets healthy or until the coach decides to swap them out with that healthy player. Because there's a sort of thing where if you take a taxi player, the injured player from your team goes back to the taxi squad, and then there's the potential that other teams could pick them up while they're still injured. It wouldn't help them in the short run, but if they've got a guy, for example, if you've got a guy who's injured for two weeks, right, you need another player for those two weeks. You cannot rely on just having... Um, you know, your, your base level of players. You, you need someone else. So you will take a taxi squad guy. But another team might go, well, we've got full roster, but we like your injured player more than the seventh guy on our roster. So we're going to swap him out with the taxi squad guy as well. And then all of a sudden, a really good player from one team, while injured, is now registered to a different team. And so you don't necessarily want to go into the taxi too often. And the Wrath had neither Christian Gray, one of their starting gunners, or Trey Landers, who I believe is also a starting gunner. And one of them has been replaced with Ryan Johnson from the taxi squad. I would guess it's Trey Landers, given Christian Gray was a first-round draft pick. Um, but that's not been communicated. Uh, maybe I'm misunderstanding the taxi squad as well. But what I'm saying comes based off of the official rulebook and what Coach Kirsch told the Toxic Takes podcast last week. So this isn't just coming from nowhere. Um, similar but different, the Rumble don't have their first round pick, their starting stopper in Bakari Copeland. He's out for this game as well. No talk of taxi squad for them. In fact, no mention that Copeland's not playing. You just notice over the course of the game, he's not in. He's not starting, and that's weird given his, his capability, but then he doesn't play the rest of the game. Let's get into the big headline though, okay? Ty McGee from the Wrath scores his team's first 22 points, outscoring the Rumble for most of the first half, okay? On his own. He will end the total game with 43 points, which is a single-game slam ball record going as far back as 2002. Ty McGee, in his third game 
of slam ball has the record for most points in the game. That's so fun to see. Uh, part of the reason that was the case is that in the first couple of games we saw of him on Friday night, he was being asked to do a lot of facilitating with the ball, moving around the islands, looking for ways to pass to his teammates. In last night's game, it was very much, Ty's going to score all of our points, we're going to get him the ball fast and let him do his thing. So he wasn't being asked to facilitate as much, he was just being asked to be a scorer and that he could do. Um, I think he will be good at being a facilitator as well, much like Tony Crosby was, but just a much bigger version of him uh, that Tony Crosby was in, on Friday night's game for the Slashers. But at this point in time, it's it's more... His teams, his teammates and him aren't on the same wavelength when it comes to movement inside the tramps, so it just makes more sense for them offensively to just let Ty McGee score. And the thing is, he can do it from a variety of different angles. So... First off, he's playing high defensively. He is one of the first guys that's coming towards them, meaning that when they get a stop on the defensive end, he is the first guy to get an opportunity on the fast break to score. And that seems to be just a wrath strategy for their gunners going forward, uh, because later in the game, Stephen Julian III takes that same spot high up on the floor defensively, and he's the first person to get a non-time McGee bucket. And that's again because they're doing this fast break thing where he's high up defensively and he just goes with the ball. It's also partly down to variety. Ty McGee can score in a number of ways, whether that's um, quick, low jumps from the wing to the, to the hoop, which means that the stopper doesn't have as much time to react and get in the way. Sometimes it's redirecting the stopper's attention from the island. He has a really good play in the second game of the night where he's standing on the island facing his own basket, facing away from the hoop. The stopper gets into the trampoline because he's expecting cutters and then McGee perfectly times a sort of slow motion 180 jump so that he's now facing the other basket and in the stopper's tramp and just goes straight up and dunks it on him. Not flashy, very like skilled and simple but it gets him points. Part of it's finesse at the rim, he's sort of throwing the ball up and hoping it goes in but, but obviously knows where he's aiming for. And he's doing one of my favourite things in slam ball. He got a couple of shots that were mid-range distance last night. Mid-range is when you take a shot from inside the trampolines on the trampolines. Now, the danger with those is that there's no goaltending. So a stopper can just get up and smack the ball away. But it's really pretty when you see it because it's such a difficult thing to do. I, I know none of this is easy. But in your mind, just jumping at a basket and throwing the ball in or shooting from outside the trampolines, those kind of make sense. But taking a shot while you're falling down is, is really difficult in my mind and I think is really cool to see whenever it happens. So McGee was scoring from all angles. It was being facilitated by his teammates, which is why I'd say that the Wrath played better as a team in this game than they did on, on Friday night. But uh, that that's hidden by the fact that Ty McGee broke the record for points. But it's only possible because Stephen Julian III and Darian Slade, who got the start with Christian Gray being out, they're feeding him the ball and giving him opportunities. They're looking for him on the offensive end. They're understanding their role as, as facilitators. And also because Sean Stith, who is their starting stopper, was doing a lot of excellent work defensively in Game 1 and in Game 2 as well. Um, McGee also like shows off... First off, his defensive prowess. He gets a nasty block on a face-off, which is all over the uh, slam ball highlights this morning. Um, but he also develops what I'm considering his now signature move. It's something that you see. He goes towards the, the, the wing trampolines and does a dribble that fakes as though it's going to go into the trampoline, right? 
If you dribble into the trampoline, that allows you to either land on the island or move into the bottom trampoline right under the basket. Um, if you just jump straight into the trampoline, you get more momentum, but you don't get the opportunity to land anywhere else. You have to go straight to the basket or pass it to a teammate in the air, right? What Ty McGee was doing last night is bouncing the ball right before he reaches the island so that the stopper has to see him making a dribbling motion. Assume it's going to go into the tramp, sorry, right before he hits the tramp. Assume it's going to go into the tramp and that they're going to have to meet him uh, somewhere else on the floor. And instead, he's making a quick jump straight to the basket from the, the side tramp and scoring on a, a stopper who, who can't work out where he's going to be coming from. And I like this as a signature move from McGee. Um, I don't know, let, let's call it the short pop dunk. You get short dunks that are fast or fast dunks. I'm going to call this the short pop because he's inferring that he's going to pop somewhere else and instead it's a, it's a short dunk straight to the basket. It does still feel like McGee is doing everything, but like I said, Julian III and Darian Slade are, are definitely contributing more defensively um, with big hits in the open floor and in distributing the ball. And Sean Stith is just no-nonsense at stopper. He's, he's doing a lot and he, I'm now starting to feel, is like the heart of this team. If McGee is the quiet offensive guy, uh, we'll talk about maybe he is or isn't quiet later, Sean Stith is the no-nonsense, I'm going to stop everything that comes at me kind of guy. Like I said, the Rumble didn't have Bakari Copeland, but compared to their performance on Friday night, this was a lot better from their team. They didn't bring their stopper as high up offensively as they did on Friday, which is something I noted as being a big detriment to them against the, uh, the mob. Having Bakari Copeland come up and be a central focus of the offense meant that the mob were able to get transition buckets a lot easier. Him not playing meant that Tamarick Fields, or yeah, Tamarick Fields, sorry, I'm making sure I pronounce it correctly. Tamarick Fields is their, their stopper for the game and he wasn't being brought up nearly as much. Is that a conscious effort from the Rumble coaching staff and Coach Carter to, to limit how often they're bringing up their stopper and understand that they need that defensive presence? Or is that just because Bakari Copeland's not here and Tamarick Fields isn't trusted as much to be part of the offense? We'll have to wait and see when Copeland comes back because if it's a personnel thing and um, it's just that they don't trust Tamarick Fields offensively, then they'll start making the same mistakes they were making against the mob. And um, if teams like the Wrath get their fast break down to even more of a science, it'll be harder for them to stop things. But overall, their defense was much better on night two than it was on night one both that decision-making with the stopper, but also when he was coming up, their teammates were, were making sure to get back quicker on, on defense and at least have someone, even if it's not a guy who's assigned to the stopper position, at least have someone in that role trying to make a play at the basket. Um, the other thing that I want you to take away from the Rumble in this game is I think they're now the best in the league, or they've shown to be thus far, at following outside shots, Okay. You can't, when a shot hits the rim, okay, from the offensive side, you're not allowed to enter the tramps after it's hit the rim. If you're already in the tramps, that's great. You can go after a loose ball, but you can't enter the tramps after, it, after it's hit the rim, right? Which means rebounding can sometimes be hard and is a much bigger timing issue. The Rumble started taking in this game a lot of three-point shots, more than you'd seen from pretty much any other team in the league thus far. And while they pretty much made none of them, I think maybe one, but I don't think they made any, um, what they were doing well was timing their run into the trampolines so that someone was at the rim to rebound the missed shot. They were arriving at the perfect time 
to either catch it and put it back in or catch it, land in the tramps and reset the play with the new uh, 12 second shot clock that you get when you when a, when a shot is taken and you get the rebound. So the Rumble are really good at that. If they can combine that with also making these outside shots and finding other ways to score, um, it'll be really good for them. Ultimately, Tippins Hill and playing through him at the gunner position was what kept them in this game for long stretches. But they then the Wrath pulled away in the fourth quarter and the Rumble don't have enough options offensively to really make that work. They sort of are doing a lot of long balls up the court and then hoping that they can get into the tramps and get the stopper quickly, which Sean Stith's too good to do that. Um, but it's also a lot of single cuts to the basket from the wing and alley-oop attempts from outside the four-point line at distance, which means you're not sacrificing as much of your transition defense, but is a much more complicated thing to pull off than cutting off the island. So the Rumble definitely looked better. They looked more comfortable. They looked more confident on the slam ball court in night two, but night one uh, is still in our minds and I'm still not so confident in them, but definitely improvement, definitely improvement from the Rumble. Sadly, they did go down to the Wrath, as we talked, 65-55, behind 43 points. So that's all but uh, 22 of the Wrath's points coming from Ty McGee. He is a bad, bad man. And uh, we'll hopefully see more of him. We'll talk about that in game, game three of the night. Game two, Lava versus Ozone. The Lava go down to the Ozone 54 to 60 in a game that can be categorized as a second last minute uh, meltdown from the Lava. They're too hot uh, and, and it's just an absolute meltdown from the team defensively uh, and, and in terms of decision making in the fourth quarter when, when they're in a close game situation with about a minute left. It's not been good for them thus far. We'll talk about the Ozone first because they won the game so they get first dibs. Um, Keenan Love is excellent at stopper. When he is on the court for the Ozone, not many teams are scoring on them, and that's impressive given he's one of the smaller guys at that position. The thing is, they are still doing this strategy where he'll play the first quarter in its entirety, and then um, you'll have Bowman come in and play as their backup uh, stopper, play the entire of the second quarter, and they'll swap that. And I think that, yes, they won this game, but I think that Keenan Love should really be the guy that's finishing games for you. I think it makes sense for him to be the guy in the first because he's, you know, high energy and, and really good offensively as well as defensively, which Bowman just is not. He cannot do much for them on the offensive end. Um, but he, he is getting better defensively. But I think you start Keenan Love and you have to finish with Keenan Love. If that means you're putting Bowman on the second and third quarters, maybe that means Love isn't as sharp when he comes back in the fourth. But... I like him a lot more. Bowman's fine defensively, um, but he's not as consistent on that end as Keenan Love, and he definitely can't do anything on the offensive end, right? But we did see, like, it's good that they're doing this because Keenan Love was getting exposed on night one when um, when the second half came around because he just couldn't keep up with that physicality for a whole game, and who can? But I like him more than Bowman. Um, something to note from the first quarter... Um, Keenan Love gets a really good block on Nathaniel Harris of the Lava, but when Harris lands, he pops his shoulder out of its socket. He does pop it back in and he comes back to play the second uh, second half of the game, but just something to be wary of when I, like I said, mentioned earlier, injuries are mounting up in this league. This game started with number one pick uh, Bryce Moraine sort of tripping his way into the tramps and looking like he'd got himself hurt. And these, little, these are little ones. We'll talk about bigger ones in game three, but... 
it is a concern for teams, okay? Um, Marcus Gray generally brings a really good second quarter for the Ozone. He does a lot throughout the night in the air in terms of he can't be stopped attacking the rim, but he's also doing really well defensively on things like face-offs. I think he had maybe three or four face-offs throughout the night combining offense and defense, and I think he got scored on once by Darian Slade in, in the third game, but overall was um, was really, really good in the air and difficult to contend with for, for, off, for opposition teams. Um, I really like him in terms of their offensive focal point because he can dunk, but he was also getting a lot of little floaters around the lava stopper and Faisal Sh or Faisal Shafat, who is a guy who could be really, really good at that position. Has been really, really good. It's just not translating to wins yet. It's translating to close games for sure, but it's not translating to wins for the lava. And Marcus Gray was really good at getting around that with a combination of dunks and little floaters. For the rest of the Ozone team, Keith McGee ends up being the leading scorer of the game uh, as he's been nicknamed by the commentary team either Cujo or Keith McBuckets or McBuckets. You know, Cujo, Keith McBuckets, McGee over here ends up with 18 points. He shouts out uh, Nate Robinson on comms who gave him that nickname. He's really, really fast and he can score, but he does come in out of the game with some, some weird leg injuries that makes it look like he's in a lot of pain on the bench. Then he'll come back and do a really impressive dunk offensively and he'll be dancing around and having a lot of fun. And so he's he, he might be okay, but he is having to come in and out quite a lot with what looks like injuries to his leg. He was one of their, their highly recruited players, one of their high draft picks. Their number one draft pick, Brian Bell Anderson, I'm still not seeing enough from him. I don't know what his averages are per game, but I would guess it's maybe six or seven points. But he's definitely giving that away on the defensive end as well. He gets pissed off early on. I think it's because he got hit and he didn't like getting hit. Uh, and so he's pissed off early on. But he doesn't do anything to solve that apart from make hits on the, the opposition offense at inopportune times that leads to them scoring either from face-offs or more accurately, he's not the guy that has to defend a face-off. Someone else has done that. He's the guy who's making the second, third, and fourth fouls of a quarter, which is giving uh, teams like uh, the, the Rumble, sorry, teams like the Lava, or as we'll get to when we talk about the Wrath, giving them multiple um, bonus points because they're in this bonus this bonus zone. Um, if you don't know, if, if you're late to, to slam ball and don't know this, first foul of a quarter is a, leads to a face-off, which is the, the guy who made the foul defending a guy on the offense, one-on-one -on -one at the basket, and then the offense gets possession back. You get one of those for each team per quarter. But after that, you enter the bonus where any foul results in two points, and possession back to the team. And Bell Anderson's giving up a lot on that end. He's giving them some points, um, but he's not, like, he's not making enough, making up enough for that. He's, I don't know what his plus minus would be, but it might be a flat zero or it might be in the negative because he's not contributing as much as he is taking away defensively. And that's bad because he's a guy who's supposed to be a really good perimeter defender and I'm not seeing it yet. He's doing it at points and then he'll get flustered or, or frustrated or hyped up and then he starts making mistakes and that's going to be a key thing we talk about in game three. I have a lot more to say for the Lava and then for the end of the game. Like I say, the Lava end up losing this game by four and they did have opportunities down the stretch. So first off, um, swing downs are being called a lot more in the air. So as the stopper, you have to make a play on the ball in there. Any contact that happens is fine, but you have to be trying to hit the ball itself. 
And what Fa uh, Fessel Shafat was getting called for a lot uh, in this game was a swipe down, which is sort of, he's, he's swinging his arms at the ball and ends up going towards the player. And from a referee's perspective, unless you get all ball, they're going to have to call that as a foul. And so he has a couple of those get called against him. Maybe it's unfair, maybe it's not. But that's one of the dangers of having a stopper who's so focused on the physicality versus the strategy. I say that um, as if he's not understanding strategy. But I do want to say that Shafat really um, has grown by game two for the Lava to, to better understand um, how to disrupt an offense with timing. So the Ozone run a move that is like a multi-cut off the island that ends with, I believe it ends with the guy on the island making the decision to go on his own rather than pass the ball off. And in that situation, a stopper can really easily get discombobulated into, right, there's a guy coming towards me. I need to get up there. Oh, but there's a second cutter. It's going to him. I need to get down and get back up again for him. Oh, the third guy from the island's come towards me. This is bad. And what Shafat did was he, he waited until he was sure what was happening uh, until the two cuts had happened and then it was only one guy left and then he got into the tramp and made a play on the ball and made a stop and that shows that he's, he's getting the timing down of when to go into the tramps, when to jump and it's it's really uh, an impressive progression from him from game one to game, from night one to night two, game one to game two for the Lava, of course not winning in night one, only playing one game per night thus far. The game is very physical for the Lava. Bryce Moraine as your uh, first overall in the whole league draft pick. Um, he's scoring, but it's sort of quiet. He's not dominating the game. Um, I think he ended this game with 23. That might be in the game on Friday night, he had 23. But he is able to score. If they give him the ball in transition, he gets there. He obviously, I mentioned earlier, tripped into the tramps and there was a slight injury concern. He came back and got double-digit points for the team. That includes a lot of freestyles. If you don't know what freestyles are, once you're in the air in the trampoline, Unless, like we were talking about earlier with Ty McGee, you've dribbled on that first tramp. Once you're into the trampoline and you're in the air, you need to work out a way of landing on a different trampoline or landing on the island. Um, because you can't do that, just jump and land. You have to do something there. It can be passing to a teammate, that can be bouncing off the backboard to yourself, or it can be called what's, uh, it can be doing what's called a freestyle, which is you either throw it down off the trampoline that you're about to land in, or you throw it into the air. You go into the, the second tramp and then you catch the ball again on the way back up and therefore you haven't landed. And that's the key thing. You haven't landed in two consecutive tramps with the ball in your possession. You've moved between them and then regathered possession of the ball. And I think Bryce Moraine, in terms of using that for his offense and using it quickly, not getting stuck in the mud of, of movement around the island, just going straight to the basket, Bryce Moraine's been the best at that so far. Um... The team also develops a, a really good play, which is they have a guy who sets up to take a four-point shot, right? Which I believe it's this team that does this, which if you are watching the lava, there's some really good shooting from uh, Josh Shannon during this game from three and also from Greg Helt throughout the last two games. He's shown that's his thing and that's the scouting on Greg Helt that he's a really good distance shooter. You have two guys who can shoot three, and if no one's guarding them on the outside and they are standing there about to take a shot, you can't block four-point attempts from inside, like at the rim. You can't goaltend those, right? So if there's no one there to get in their face and they're taking a four-point shot, you have to live with it. What's really good is that they're faking four-point shots, or at least they did in this game at one point. They faked the four 
and instead they threw a lob to Bryce Marine who cut to the basket, caught it midair and dunked it. Now the stopper's in a position where they know they can't block the four point shot, so they just kind of have to wait and try and make a rebound. But when it turns into a pass instead of a shot, they don't have the timing, they don't have the opportunity to get into the air and make a play on that offensive possession because they were too worried about potentially goaltending a four pointer. Threes are worth less than four, yes, and a dunk is worth three points in slam ball, but you can't, you, you, you just can't risk that as the stopper. You need to let them shoot that four and hope that they miss and get a rebound. And I like this strategy of, of passing, faking the four and passing it off instead. Um, in the end of the game, right, the play of Marcus Gray, Keith McGee, uh, Q Cotton, and then both sides of the ball from Keenan Love really keeps the ozone in this and makes them seem like the better, more cohesive team. The Lava are doing really well. Fessel, uh, Fessel Shafat's great at stopper. Bryce Marine scoring quite regularly for them. They still have uh, Darius Clark. I oh, know they don't have Darius Clark. He's on a different team. My, my, there's so many teams, so many players. It's so new to all of us. Shafat's playing well. Marine's playing well. Um, Greg Help gets some good baskets, um, but the Ozone are up by four, okay? So what they do with a six-point lead is the Lava intentionally foul. Now, with a minute left in the game, it's an automatic face-off, right? You don't get the points like you would in other, point, uh, other, other sections of the game. It's an automatic face-off, and unlike every other face-off where, regardless of what happens, the offense gets the ball back, in the last minute, it's a make it, take it. So the offense gets an attempt to score on the face-off. If they don't score, the defense gets possession of the ball. And so in a late-game situation, in a close game, that's what you want to do. You want to foul. The Lava didn't do that successfully on night one because they were struggling to catch up with Tony Crosby. But in night two, they managed to make a foul. They force Marcus Gray of the um, Ozone to try and come at the basket. And he bungles it. He jumps into the tramp too far, his legs give out from underneath him, he can't make the shot, which is really lucky for the Lava, because their defensive player did the exact same thing, and uh, and it could have gone badly for them, and the strategy wouldn't work, but it did work, so they get an opportunity to get a shot off, right? Greg Helts in the game, he is their distant shooter, they want him to get the shot. Um, they manage to get him the ball, but he has to make it a step back three, Step back four pointer, which for those who haven't heard this yet, the four point line in slam ball is around 26, 26 and a half feet away from the basket, which is three feet further back than an NBA three point line, right? As commentary is describing it, this is a Steph Curry, Damian Lillard um, style distance three. And Greg Helt might be the best three point shooter in slam ball. He is taking a four point shot with a step back and it goes very short. And the reason it's a step back is because the Ozone play, as you would expect from them, as we're expecting from this team going in, they play really good perimeter defense and they don't make the shot. Um, the, the, by this point, the score is down four. So what do the, um, the Lava do? They, of course, intentionally foul again with about 5.2 seconds left. They had 20 seconds on that first play and they used pretty much the entire of the game to get a step back three from Greg Helt, right? Poor decision making on his part potentially, poor play running from the lava to not get him a better shot than that. They foul uh, intentionally, the Ozone get another face-off attempt, the lava do really well to stop this, this face-off, right? So 
whatever you might say, their face-off defense is really good and this strategy is working for them, right? If they are in close games, which they have been the last two games, the, the first two nights of action, if they're in close games, this strategy should work for the Lava. They just need to... They, they just need to effectively finish on the other end. Because they get 5.2 seconds to get a four. The inbound ball goes to Bryce Moraine on the island. He has three seconds on the island and then he has to get off. He is there. They sort of run a, a, a double screen around where the inbound play, inbound pass came from, which is on the mid side of the court uh, next to the bench area, right? They make a sort of double screen. Moraine finishes his three seconds on the island. So he does a bounce back into the front trampoline and then back onto the island so that he's got stability again, so he can look for potential passes. He gets it to Greg Helt, who doesn't see the clock or thinks that the defense is too high up on him, doesn't want to have to try and do a step back again like he did in the first instance, and so drives to the right. The team's down by four. You need a four to tie the game to send it to, to face-off penalties. He drives. They do not have enough time left to do this. He tries to kick it back to Moraine, kick it, kick it back out to Moraine, who isn't expecting the ball, because why would you when you've got like two seconds at this point? And he kind of bobbles it. They don't get a shot off. The Lava lose by four. So it's two nights in a row where the Lava have been in the game uh, against teams that arguably don't have the same level of talent. And then they just cannot execute in the last minute of play. That'll be something to watch for the Lava going forward. They can keep themselves in a game where they're not playing as well as their opposition, but they cannot finish the game and they cannot find a way to, to make up points on the offensive end. Defensively, they're doing really well in late game situations with the face-off strategy, make it, take it. But offensively, there's a lot of work to be done. So I'd say that means that the Ozone wins the game and we go to the main event matchup, which is the Wrath versus the Ozone. Now, over the first two days of action, I've not mentioned it here because I didn't know if it would come up. Um, the commentary has been talking about the fact that the Wrath, and especially Ty McGee, who just set the record for most points in the game, the Wrath got into a fight in training the day before the season started. Now, with training for Slam Ball, there is only one court. So the teams practice two teams at a time, right? And what they were doing the day before the season started was full contact scrimmaging to really get them used to what it's going to feel like. And Keith McGee, sorry, Ty McGee took a high hit to the face, which I think comes from Q Cotton. Not intentional, but it was a high hit. It chips his tooth, he's bleeding from the mouth. I don't know if something gets said, but they show the footage as part of this game. They show the footage. He gets pissed. He double leg takes down Q Cotton and everyone needs to get separated because the teams start trying to fight each other, right? That's the energy we're starting this game with because you might have heard I said Q Cotton there. It was the Wrath and the Ozone that got in a fight the day before the season started. So two days before this, the teams got in a fight. What gets added to this is that LaMonica Garrett on commentary... Um, who's a former player, is the all-time leading scorer in slam ball. He mentions that the head coaches of each team, uh, I believe it's James Willis for the Wrath. Uh, I can double-check that, but I believe it's James Willis for the Wrath. Uh, it's definitely TA Trevor Anderson for the, the Ozone. Um, he mentions, does LaMonica Garrett, 
that back in his day, uh, it's James Willis, yeah, back in his day, there was a benches clear brawl caused by those two guys. And it was James Willis did a late hit on someone and Trevor Anderson got a run up and smashed James Willis in the back. The two of them got into a fist fight and the bench is cleared and the game had to be like post, like paused for a moment as they dealt with this, right? Bear that in mind. Bear that physicality from the Ozone and from the RAF and bear that history between the coaches as we get into the game because the, the main event of night two end up being about scuffles, injuries, and which team can keep their cool, right? The game ends 64-37 in favour of the Wrath. Let's go through it um, half by half rather than going team by team this time because you need to understand the complexion of the game as it goes on. So Keith McGee takes on Julian III in a face-off, Stephen Julian III. Um, Trey, uh, Trey, I keep calling him Trey because it's easier than saying Steve, it's easier than saying Stephen Julian the third. He's the third. He's Trey, right? Trey shows how uh, Fessel Shafat's strategy and face-offs can work. Something I didn't mention earlier is that Shafat ends up getting called out for his face-off strategy, and they give the points back to the Ozone. Now, what he was doing was he was jumping into the wing tramp and then waiting on the the section of padding between the wing tramp and the bottom tramp until the offensive player made their move. He's more than able to do that, but what a lot of defensive players... Sorry, he's more than able to start going, right? What he's not allowed to do is wait on the, the black section of padding. You have to be in one of the trampolines as the defensive player. Now, this is the first guy to do anything other than just wait for the offense to move before he tries to make a play. What Stephen Julian III does in this face-off against Keith McGee is he does a, a standard old-school slam ball thing that I think is very smart, which is just go defensively. Just go, get yourself into the bottom tramp, and then just kind of hover, kind of bounce there, and wait for the offensive player to come to you, and then make a play on them, right? He does this. He manages to stop Keith McGee, and the, the, uh, the wrath come away, avoiding them scoring on them and this is a really good strategy and I think that more players should should do this right in the first half however the, the the game is pretty close but it looks like the ozone could pull away and the reason for that is because Ty McGee after his first game heroics isn't able to score as easily in this second game LaMonica Garrett again on commentary he's noting that the big reason for that is that Ty McGee is getting disrupted in entering the, the trampoline area, right? You can't hit a guy when he leaves his feet going into trampoline, but you can hit him while he's starting his run-up, okay? So long as one of his feet's on the ground, you can hit the, the man. And that is what we were seeing from the Ozone, right? They were disrupting him as he was entering the trampolines, and that's enough to throw him off his decision-making. So he wasn't running straight to the, the basket as much. He was having to make a different decision. He ended up on the island a lot. He ended up looking for teammates to help off him, and that's just not the strategy they're going with because right now it's we're relying on Ty McGee to score, okay? They cannot buy a straightforward bucket at the rim in the first quarter. Ty is getting there, but he can only really make finesse shots because he's not able to get the height against stoppers because of this disruption on the outside. Um, the Wrath are able to get some of this back with their own physicality, with uh, Trey getting a big hit on Keenan Love, Darian Slade's making a lot of big hits in open court. Um, I really like that Darian Slade got the start for this team with Christian Grey being out. I had high hopes for him, and he is, to me, the hero of Game 2 for the Wrath, right? 
we move on to the second quarter. Keith McGee gets a, a, a big dunk. So he's, again, had leg injuries earlier in the night, was a little bit spotty with leg injuries in the first quarter. He gets a big dunk, hand on the back of his head. He's, he's screaming, he's shouting, he's hollering, he's whooping. He is hyping up the ozone, right? They're getting loud. Ty McGee on the other end, he, uh, he gets onto the island. He does a spin. He, he's facing the other way. We talked about this earlier. He jumps 180, slow motion, into the tramp, up, dunks over the defending stopper. It's really, really good. It's slow paced, but it's a good strategy. And I think that, you know, I, this is what I'm saying, but I think he could be a good distributor because he sort of understands how to move around inside the tramps better than other players. This is where things got dicey. And yes, it was in the second quarter of the main event. The Wrath head coach gets a tech for something, right? Uh, James Willis gets a technical foul called against him. Trevor Anderson, the Ozone head coach, and his son, first round pick, who, like I say, I haven't seen do anything that gives him the, the credit to get away with this. Trevor Anderson and Brian Bell Anderson start to dance, like making fun of the Wrath head coach. This is a tight game. The Wrath are all about business. They're trying to score. And the Ozone are being very braggadocious and they're dancing on the guy. And cool, that's great to hype up the crowd. Everyone's throwing up the O's. What's not great is how it then continues on. Someone draws a foul in the Wrath Tramp from the Ozone. They're clapping, they're dancing. They're continuing what their head coach and their first round draft pick, their supposed star player, they're continuing this energy of, we're going to dance on you, we're going to brag, we're going to, you know, we're better than you. Ty McGee get shaken up in the air on a, a block by Vince Bowman. It's a clean block, but something happens to McGee. He comes down hard in the tramps and Bowman sort of lands half over him. McGee's clutching the back of his head. He's not moving. He's in the fetal position. He's trying to avoid getting landed on. Bowman is over him on all fours. He looks like he's just trying to get his helmet. He's just grabbing at it. He's trying to, he's getting his helmet. He's not doing anything to watch out for the guy he almost landed on. This is the biggest guy in the league. He's almost landed on a dude. He's not looking out for him. He's grabbing at a helmet. Commentary also adds, it seems like he's he's jawing at him, right? They think that it looks like uh, Vince Bowman uh, is having a go at Ty McGee, who's just set a record for scoring and is down in the tramps, clutching the back of his neck, clutching his head. This could be a serious injury and Bowman's chirping at him, right? McGee ends up getting up. Bowman tries to help him up. McGee's like, nah. He starts chirping back. The two of them are almost head to head. They're sort of like floating on the tramps at this stage. And all of a sudden, in come their coaches, pulling them apart. You've got Bra you've got Trevor Anderson down in the tramp and you've got James Willis who's pulled his guy onto the island and is now looking down at Trevor Anderson. And for whatever reason, Willis starts going off. He is screaming at Trevor Anderson who's got this smug facial expression on and he starts clapping. The teams start to almost get into it with, another, there's a, with one another. There's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of awkward footstepping because they're on the trampolines. They're in the island. They're, they're in difficult positions. The referees are trying to separate everyone. And ultimately ends with um, both Trevor Anderson, the head coach of the Ozone, and James Willis, the head coach of the Wrath. They both get ejected, right? So we've got a history between the coaches. We've got a history between the teams who started a brawl two days ago. This is the biggest modern rivalry in slam ball right now. And I don't like where it's headed because Ty McGee doesn't come back after this, in this game. He leaves with whatever happened to his head and neck, right? 
as the game progresses, the focal point of the offense becomes Julian III for the Wrath in terms of cutting to the basket and Darian Slade uh, um, driving into the basket, right? So Julian III around the island and cutting, Darian Slade driving, right? Julian III then does his knee in because he lands on the trampoline at the same time that Bowman does defensively. This is not Bowman's fault. This is just one of those things that happens in around the tramps. And Trey sort of awkwardly lands on his left knee. He comes out of the tramps limping. So Christian Gray, your first round pick, isn't playing. Stephen Landers is is off, has been replaced with a taxi player uh, who, who plays very well. I need to get his name correctly because he, he did do well in the night in the spot minutes he had. Ryan Johnson for the Wrath, who is their, their taxi guy. He was doing well. Um, but he's a taxi guy. He's not a starting player. And he was having to play starting minutes by the end of this. You've not got Christian Gray. You've not got Stephen Landers. Uh, you've not got Ty McGee, who's your leading scorer in the league right now. And you've now not got your second option in Stephen Landers the third. So you've got Darian Slade, who's now having to carry a lot offensively. Nick Parks, who ends up doing a little bit more for them on the offensive end now that there's some injuries. He's consistent. He's not doing anything big, but he's going for scores. And Sean Stith as their stopper, who does everything for them defensively. And as I say, I think is now the heart and soul of this Wrath team. Okay. As the game goes on, you realise that Keenan Love, who's been the star stopper for the Ozone, isn't in the game anymore. It's either Vincent Bowman or it's their third round or their, their third string stopper in Donovan Bird, who didn't see any action in night one. And earlier in this game, wasn't even wearing his team shorts. He was wearing a different set of shorts. I thought he was injured and was just there for appearances, but he's now playing, which makes you think, right, so is Keenan Love injured? Because when the game gets dicey later in the fourth and they don't have any opportunities to stop, it's still Bowman they're bringing back in and not Keenan Love, who you would think is a better option. Donovan Bird is bad as your third string, right? This is the only team in the league who is a, a, a legitimate third string stopper and he's not good either offensively or defensively. He makes mistakes and he gets dunked on very easily at the rim, right? Bowman comes back and does okay, but he's still not the same caliber that Love is either offensively or with movement in the air, right? But we end the third quarter with both coaches ejected with the Wrath suffering injuries, and with the Ozone, who have been chirping all night, still trying to chirp away, the Wrath are focused, and the Ozone give up at least nine straight points of dunks or double bonus points because they've fouled too much. They're not keeping their head. They can chirp all they like, and it's great that we've got this energy in the league. It's really wonderful, and I know there are going to be people out there who love this, but they lose this game. Not only do they lose this game, but by the end of the third... The Wrath are up 51 to 34. And I don't even have notes for you on the fourth quarter. I just wrote, can Darian Slade maintain this lead? Yes, he can. Him, Nick Parks and Sean Stiff on the defensive end, plus a lack of defensive composure from the Ozone who are still chirping and are giving away points, ends the game with the, the Wrath in the fourth quarter adding an extra 13 points and the Ozone adding an extra three so, this game was about scuffles. It was about establishing the matchup that you're going to watch every time you see Ozone versus Wrath on a sheet going forward. This is the game you're going to want to watch. This is a game that you want. I don't think I want this to be the finals because these aren't the two best teams in the league. The Wrath are up there. The Wrath might be third. 
Um, especially now that they've come together and it's not all Ty McGee. This is not the finals, but you do want this to be a playoff ga- uh, matchup, right? You want to see this because they're, they're going at each other. But if they're going to go at each other and the Ozone are going to talk a lot of talk, clearly the Wrath are more composed. The Wrath are going to score more. The Wrath missing their best players are you know, going to be in a position that they can still win the game. The first half was really close. But the Wrath destroyed them at the finish due to Darian Slade offensively, due to Sean Stith defensively, due to poor decision-making from the Ozone. And as the clock ends, and this is when you can do it, with a massive 64-37 to 37 lead, as the clock is running out, Sean Stith, the blocker for the Wrath, who's played the whole game and been excellent defensively, he starts dancing on him. He starts dancing on him. Sean Stith's having fun now because he can because they've won the game, because they've gone through your guys chirping, they've gone through injuries to their two main scorers, and they've still come out the other end and won. So he can dance, right? Maybe he shouldn't, but he can. And then he does the post-match interview, and it's really interesting how he talks about it. So he starts off really hyped, and he says, I really wanted this game, this is personal, right? He addresses the fact it's a rivalry, he addresses what happened before by saying this is personal. So, of course, Inches Jackson, who is the the courtside reporter, he asks him, oh, so this is a big game for you, this is a rivalry. And he goes, no, 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 no. We care about the floor, right? We don't care about what happens off the floor. We're here to win this. So Sean Stith is saying the wrath are about the championship. We're here to win this. We're not worried about what happens off the court. As my alarm goes off, because I've got stuff I need to do at some point. He calls the shot. The Wrath are aiming for a championship. They don't care about this other stuff. They're going to score and they're going to win. And do you know what? That's what they did. That's what I'm saying. They were focused. They were composed. And that is what makes the better team, right? The Ozone, talking way too much and, and giving it up because the Wrath were able to keep their composure together and still score and still play defense and, and finish out the game missing. So... For goodness sake, they lost their two leading scorers in this game, but if you look at their injury list, they're currently playing with three guys who, one of which is your starting stopper, Sean Stith is your starting stopper, right? But Darian Slater should be coming off the bench, Nick Parcher should be coming off the bench, and a guy from the taxi squad, because Christian Gray's out, Trey Landers is out, Ty McGee just got hurt, and Stephen Julian III just got hurt, Right? And they've kept their composure and they've won this game. That's a really good sign for them going forward. Um, their assistant coach, James Lee, who his Chiron, his lower third, said uh, first win as a head coach was really funny. Um, he talks about the players being mostly benched due to injuries, but that just shows that they clearly have depth. So when these injured players come back, hopefully it's short-term things. Hopefully the biggest one for me is I, I hope that Ty McGee, it was just concussion protocol that he'll be back by this coming week and that it was just a precautionary thing and I hope that Stephen Julian III comes back and that it was just an awkward landing we don't know what's happened with Christian Gray we don't know what's happened with with Stephen Landers Um, and with the latter I think he can't come back until they decide what they're going to do with um, Ryan Johnson and he played pretty well so what's the decision going to be there but ultimately uh, you come out of this going if the Wrath can get healthy again right their composure 
Their defensive ability with Sean Stith is a no-nonsense stopper. Ty McGee is an insane scoring threat. And the options you also have with Darian Slade, with Christian Gray when he's healthy, with uh, Trey, Stephen, Julian III. Um, they have a lot of options and they are... the. I'll have an updated power rankings tomorrow after we've had our third set of games. But they're in my top three of teams, right? I think right now, before they've played their, their third game, third, potentially fourth games, the mob are definitely number one for most people. The buzzsaw are the team that people are looking at to compete with them. And I think the wrath are right there in third. But if these injuries persist, who's, who's to say? By the end of this game, Keith McGee was also sitting out for the Ozone with the leg stuff. In, in and out of the game, in and out of the, the night with leg injuries, even though he's bragging. Um, what happened to Keenan Love? Is he injured? Did they just take him out because they didn't want him to play? I'd guess he's injured because you would not take him out if you're losing by this much when he is a really good option on both ends. Ty McGee's in concussion protocol, Stephen Julian III with an awkward landing, and two other Wrath players who didn't even get to see floor action last night. Really concerning in terms of injuries for this league. They're touting it that this league has a, is going to have a smaller injury percentage than the NBA. And right now, I I test-wise, and knowing what I know about how the preseason went and the fact that there's a couple of guys who should be in this league that aren't because of like hairline flat fractures and things of that nature, you cannot tout that right now. Is this just a freak of the first weekend? Do I, does everyone need a little bit of practice? We'll talk about that this week. There's a couple interviews this week. I will be asking people in the know about this. But that was last night's action in the world of slam ball. Tonight we have four more teams in action. It is a buzzsaw Griffins matchup to start the night at 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. Which, oh, that's 6 p.m. for you on the East Coast. It's 11 p.m. for me here, which is really good for me because I've been late nights the last couple of nights. But... 11 p.m. for me here, Buzzsaw Griffins. Can the Buzzsaw maintain their, their position as the second team in the league? Or will the Griffins have something to show uh, because they lost night one and I think are a much better team than that loss shows? And we have a rematch of uh, night one's main event of the Mob and Slashers. Have the Slashers found a way to keep up with the Mob or is it still going to be all Tony Crosby the second? Was night one just an apparition for the Mob or are they really this good? We'll find all these things out tonight. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching Bounce Off, the number one slam ball podcast worldwide. Uh, give us a rating or a review on whatever podcast app you choose or get involved in the comments here on YouTube. Um, I'm going to be trying to do a Q&A this coming week as we approach the second weekend of action, um, maybe with some guests, maybe on my own, where I want to address any questions that fans have going into the second week of action, what we can talk about and what we can maybe address for those of you watching at home. But for those of you watching this, thank you. For those of you keeping up with the league through me, thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. We've got three more games of Slam Ball action tonight and I'm really, really excited for it. And let's just let's just keep this train rolling. Weekend one's been good, albeit a little injury play, but it's been great action, great highlights. Let's roll on. Night three, Slam Ball action. Excited for it. Have a good day, everyone.